The WWE family is saddened by the passing of Hall of Famer Bullet Bob Armstrong. A Marine Corps veteran, Armstrong used his military-bred hard work, toughness, and dedication to transition into the squared circle in the 1960s. Armed with a bodybuilder's physique and a fiery ring persona, Armstrong became a household name throughout the South. As a truly dedicated family man, Armstrong would train and mentor all four of his sons on their paths to sports entertainment success. Over the years, Bob routinely competed alongside his boys, winning tag team championship gold along the way for the Armstrong family. Following an impressive career that spanned over six decades, bullet Bob Armstrong would be immortalized in 2011 as a member of the WWE Hall of Fame. You know, 50 years ago, our father became engaged to two entities. One was our mother, the other was this sports entertainment industry. Tonight, the Armstrong family proudly brings to you our father, our hero, Bullet Bob Armstrong. I thank the lady that has been with me for over 50 years. She raised five boys, that includes me. Look at your boys now, baby. <laughs> WWE Hall of Fame, it don't get no better than that, brother. I got to live my dream. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Good night. presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. John Paz, and with me as always is the star of the show, former WWE Tag Team Champion, eight-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion, as well as one of the greatest trainers in the history of professional wrestling. He is the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. Tom, how are you today? John, I'm doing great today. Again, another beautiful day in Knoxville, Tennessee. I I can't seem to uh, plug it enough. It's a beautiful place to be. Now, what is going on? I know you were out and about this week traveling and, and doing a lot of uh, different things. Uh, how are things shaking in the, I guess, personal appearance world and, and in the world of the Northeast? 
Well, actually, Nick uh, from Captain's Corner, your your good friend, mm-hmm. uh, mentioned you. Uh, we, we we had a great time in Plainsville, Connecticut. I went up to uh, to visit a little bit. Didn't get to visit as much as I wanted. I wasn't really expecting uh, anybody to be around too much, but it was it was kind of cool to get her out and uh, revisit, go down memory lane, if you will, some of Paul Bosch's artifacts and and uh, files and pictures and and personal possessions uh, that he had throughout the years that I remember. I mean, vividly, uh, plaques on the wall, uh, uh, gimmicks on the wall, gimmicks in his office that, that now resides uh, at my brother's home. You know, so uh, it, it 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 was it was a cool time just to to go up and get away, hang out for a little bit, and uh, absorb myself in some old memories. It was it was very very nice. Did you have fun doing the virtual signing? Because it's so cool and it's so different. I love that the vendors kind of basically created their own, you know, their own thing. We're like, yeah, you know what? Let's just do signings virtually since we can't have people meet face to face. Yeah, that was my first time, and I, I had no idea what to expect. I had not seen a virtual signing before. I mean, I had an idea, but uh, I had yet to see one. So. Uh, I had, I did have a blast, you know, I got there and, and it was, uh, horrible weather on a Thursday night. Uh, and, and got to see Nick. We, we did it at, uh, oh, Fairfield Inn, I guess, in Plainsville. And yeah, I, I thought it was, uh, pretty creative. Nick told me some of the stuff he'd been doing and, and, uh, what is it, uh, Adversity, adversity is the mother of invention, or, or mm-hmm. need, or whatever it is. Yeah, and they they really put it together. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was it was a very cool deal. Hope to do it again. Now, as far as these uh, artifacts and this great stuff from Houston Wrestling and Paul Bosch, did you get to take some stuff home? I took a couple things home, not as much. Um, as I thought, because there's nowhere to really put what he, what all he had. He had some, uh, some pictures, you know, that, that Paul had on his, uh, uh, the wall of his home office. But I think someone else, uh, got the wrestling office, the 1919 Caroline office pictures. You know, some of those went home with Paul, but not all of them. And, uh, I, I got a very cool Mill Moscatus dive out of the turnbuckle that was first shown in uh, Friday night in the Coliseum by Jeff Winningham. And uh, I got a, got an old picture when Stallone came to the Coliseum in 1977, right before Paradise Alley. He and Lee Conolita, uh, Conolito, I think it was, uh, came with Terry Funk when Terry was going to work with Nick Bockwinkel and uh, sat ringside with Paul and myself. And Paul had that, that picture on his wall for years. I, I got that one. Um, and I got some other, you know, cool stuff that that um, we'll, we'll see how it goes on the walls here. But but a lot of the stuff was Paul's personal items. You know, he had a great, this really cool looking belt buckle he used to wear with the, the pro wrestling crown, cufflinks, and and uh, all all kind of gimmicks. He had uh, uh, a lot of statues and and and. Cool stuff that you won't find anywhere else. It's just it's from the past, in the past, and 
I, I think it's good to keep that stuff alive because it's basic and fundamental. And as you know, the basics and fundamentals never go out of style. And if you can find some appreciation in uh, uh, artistry like that and in the books and and uh, the images, just, just looking at what he had and, and um, wondering where it came from and, and uh, what was the origin of the picture? How did it come about? So... Um, that was that was a cool part to me. I, I, I brought some stuff home, but not as much as I <clears throat> as I probably should have. But I was very very content with it because I, I I immersed myself. There were boxes and boxes and more boxes of books and files and paperwork and uh, things from the '60s. Hell, there were things from the '40s in there, and that just fascinates me that they've. Uh, uh, survived all this time and and found their way in a box and uh, and found their way in uh, uh, Bruce's possession because uh, you know again we grew up in in Houston and and remember all that stuff on the wall remember uh, marveling at it if you will and just being being fans at the time looking at that stuff going man that's that's pretty cool does it take you back do you like have flashbacks when you're looking at some of that stuff. I, I did to a point where, um, you know, I, I, I said this is this is pretty cool because as I'm reading the words of what was actually happening in in 1984, you know, at one of the shows, and is and and sometimes you make just notes on a legal pad and, and things like that, where you 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 um, at, at the time it just meant well what it meant and as years go by you you look at that as oh this was the uh, turning point this is when um it it happened <laughs> this is when he left and you know for whatever reason because it, it just may have a couple words a couple notes i thought yeah i could i could see that and um you know found old wrestling contracts uh, in texas we had a commission and they used to put on the contract, you know, for consideration of $25 or more. You know, the minimum in Texas was 25 bucks back then. And you never made 25 bucks with Paul. But uh, they put that on all the contracts. And, and both guys had to sign it. And you had to sign two of them. And, and I just went went through that. And, and I, you know, I found a couple of my contracts in there. So uh, it, it was very cool. Because, once again, just knowing what I knew was going on back then, then looking back uh, into the files on some of this stuff, uh, you know, that revealed what Paul was thinking back then. It was was interesting as hell to me. I love that, uh, you know, you can kind of, like you said, immerse yourself in history and get all the history. Very, very cool kind of, you know, kind of stuff and to be able to do that and even find your own stuff, you know what I mean? Like find your own country. I mean, that's kind of, kind of trippy too. It's pretty cool. Well, it was, and there was there was one uh, three by five picture, uh, or the long postcard size picture of Paul interviewing me on on in Houston wrestling. And you know, I don't remember that in particular, but uh, once again, looking at it, going, huh? I I I remember the Coliseum. I remember the the way it was set up. You know, so. Yeah, it, it was it was uh, very very cool. I mean, I I got uh, 
<laughs> I've got nothing to complain about. I had a pretty good life, and and I'm I'm happy to be able to go back and look at it, and see what it was, and and even look at it uh, and see what what enticed me as a, as a kid. Why would I? Why would I want to do this? So why would anybody want to do this today? But I knew why I wanted to do it back then, and it was all the again I, I say a lot of the uh, imagery, uh, mystery, and and um, just showmanship and, and having guys larger than life come on TV every week, do what they did, and then you see them live in the Coliseum. They just were different people. And uh, looking back at some of the stuff, I could see how they were um, presented as different people and, and uh, extraordinary human beings. And whether they were or weren't, uh, that's what computed in my mind when I was a, a, in Houston. I was 10 all the way up until the time I had my first match at 20. So, I uh, again, looking back on some of that stuff and, and looking at some of the stuff in plaques and, and artifacts that he had in his office and, and then and looking at them now, um, there's still something about them that, that sets them apart from anything else. You can't go down to Target uh, and get stuff like that. You know, you had to travel the world. You had to have uh, people bring you gifts and and or have somebody special make a lot of that stuff. And uh, Paul went to the effort of having it done. Who was closer to Paul Bosch, you or your brother? Oh, certainly Bruce. I... I would like to to think, but you know, I, I've I had a hard time getting close to anybody growing up, and that's another reason why I think looking at this stuff, uh, my my uh, style of working in the office versus Bruce's style. You know, I wasn't really paying attention to the office stuff. I I was paying attention to the uh, you know, hey, let's get on the road, let's get in the ring type stuff, and all the other stuff kind of. Um, didn't interest me, and I always had reverence and respect for Paul Bosch. Bruce uh, always had confidence and uh, gravitas. He knew how to he knew how to be, how to believe and and get close to people. He just was that that kind of guy, and I was completely opposite. So, you know, Bruce and Paul had a, a very uh, a lot more in depth. Uh, relationship, I think. I, I was I was the first to come in and work in the office and and then get my break in the ring. But when Bruce came in, he came in and he was he was working selling posters uh, while I was in the office and doing that stuff. But once I left and started on the road, he didn't miss a beat. He was he was going to make sure um, uh, he he had a legacy to 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 fulfill, and he did. So speaking of, you know, getting close to people and, you know, relationships, things like that, I think for sure somebody you definitely had a great relationship was Brad Armstrong and the Armstrong family, and which kind of uh, leads me to the subject of today's episode, which is going to be all about a bullet, Bob Armstrong, who just recently passed away at the age of 80. Very kind of sad to see him go. Absolute huge wrestling legend, huge wrestling icon. So you've got a guy who had charisma, but could work, but could talk, 
but had a little bit of uh, I don't know what it is. He had a little bit extra to him, a little bit I guess you could call it pizzazz or a little bit extra attitude or a little extra charisma, you know, mixed in there. But you know, what were your thoughts when you heard of uh, the passing of Bullet Bob Armstrong? Well, for, first of all, let me let me just clarify that there were very very few people that that I could uh, classify as being close to in this business, but. But the Armstrongs were certainly one of them, and and Brad and I had a had a very special relationship. Uh, it's it's one of those things you can't explain. And uh, Bullet went on the Brad went on the road with Bullet. Uh, he he was the first one out of Scott, Steve, and Brian, and uh, had early success in Atlanta, and uh, was just a natural. So <clears throat> I got to know. Uh, those guys, Brad and Bob, and and of course the the rest of the boys in the early '80s, and um, I, I heard when I left on Tuesday and uh, to go to Stanford, and I got a call and uh, telling me that it could be today for Bob. You know, he'd been hanging on for a while. He he was uh, living with Brian. The hospice was visiting on a daily basis and just trying to make him comfortable because the inevitable was near. And and I accepted it way back in the summertime. Doesn't make it any easier uh, or or sadder, I guess, um, or less sad. But uh, the, the thing is, he had the bone cancer in his ribs and shoulder and uh, it was traveling and, and just a, a horrible, horrible thing and, and painful. Uh, and I had talked to him earlier on this summer, and he he sounded um, out of breath and wasn't going to put anything over by any means. He wasn't that kind of guy to tell you how bad he was feeling. He he'd always talk about there's a gym right next door, and I just I just trying to get in there. But anyway, he. Um, he he'd been expected to uh to pass a while back and and i it happened while we were actually doing the virtual signing um somebody typed in there that that it had, it had happened and i thought yeah well uh my first feeling was thank god you know you're not having to deal with this anymore but he was one of a kind he was uh i think who you would have to point to as being in that mold for that era, you had real men who uh, who would put up, not shut up, and, and if you were the one yakking all night long and he'd had enough, he would go over and give you a chance to shut up, and if you didn't, he'd knock you right in the mouth. Um, and, and, you know, talking about last week when we were talking about fights and everything in the business, well, uh, when we hung up, I got to thinking about Bob, and I remember one time coming back from the gym. It was myself, Kevin Sullivan, Brad, and Bob, uh, somewhere in Ohio doing the Atlanta tours. Kevin and I were in the back seat, and Bob was driving, Brad in the passenger seat, and we're going back to the hotel. We're coming up to a light, and uh, Bob realizes he has to turn left. He, he's got to get in the left-hand turning signal, so he, he goes, oh, oh, hell, and he puts on his blinker, he just kind of cuts this motorcycle off. And he goes, oh, hey, I'm sorry. He looks in the rearview mirror, and then he looks up again, and he goes, boy, you son of a... And he jammed the car into park, got out. The guy had either said something or shot him a bird, whatever it was, but it was a bad mistake on his part. 
He put the car in park, got out of the car, started marching back to him. Brad got out the passenger side and said, Dad, no, no. We, we Kevin and I both turned around. Uh, the guy, it was a man and a woman on a, on a motorcycle, and he had a helmet on, but Brad, or Brad, Bob grabbed this guy's lapels, both hands, got right in his face, said something, and put his finger in this guy's face, raised him off the bike, didn't take him off, but just he, he had to raise off. He was standing on the, on the uh, pavement, and then he sat him back down, got back in the car, jammed it in the drive. The light had changed by then. We turned into the hotel and went Kevin and I went to our room Brad and uh, Bullet went to their room but you know he was uh, he he was he was a great man but he was indicative of those kind of guys back then you know you didn't play games with them they 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 had a good time and you could have fun with them but um back then respect was was a huge huge thing and if you disrespected the bullet, um, he'd let you know it. You know, a story Michael Hayes likes to tell, and I don't think he'd mind if I told this, uh, because it's, 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 it's pretty much Michael, and it's pretty much the bullet described and defined right here. You know, Michael can be <laughs> crude at times. Have you met Michael Hayes? Uh, many, many years ago when I was a, a young fan uh, he was at a wrestling show. It was like in passing, but I've never actually met him. Met him. Oh, okay, okay. So, well, I didn't know if you had any, any any idea, but but Michael, and this is back when Michael was in his early twenties, of course. Um, you know, uh, it was at at a restaurant, and uh, Michael came over the table and farted, and Bob was eating, <laughs> and yeah, and and Bob looked. He says, "Well, you." rotten son of a bitch, put his fork down and went after Michael, and Michael hauled ass, took off running. Got the, got in the van, got in the car, bam, bam, and then they they took off. But, you know, it, it was, you could, you could play with Bob, you could mess with Bob uh, to that point, but once he was, he could be like a lion with a, a thorn in his paw if he, if he didn't want to be messed with and he was feeling hurt or he was agitated about something, best just leave him alone. Um, and that went for everybody, you know, uh, the kids, the boys, all of us. And, but, but then again, he was one of the most generous, kindest, uh, respected veterans I have ever been around. And, uh, so yeah, it was, it was sad and it was relieving at the same time that he didn't have to deal with, uh, bone cancer anymore. I can't think of a more. Um, painful way to exist, and and he wasn't going to get uh, treatment. Didn't want to go through that. He, he thought that might kill him faster. And and, and again, he was that kind of guy. Just uh, uh, I, there will never be. I, I meant that when I, I wrote it. As there will never ever be another one. It's the the time isn't right. The culture doesn't exist. The attitude doesn't exist, and it's a shame because all our heroes are going away. And I, when I say all our heroes, I'm talking about the guys that come from my generation. And, and uh, you know, we hold on to the past and a lot of things because uh, we remember it differently, yes. And for us, it was 
the way we were brought up, and God, man, it just had a such. It had a different. Um, it had a different presentation. It had a different feeling to it, and so did the guys who were in it. And Bob Armstrong was one of those <clears throat> true to life Georgia Jawjackers, uh, Wild Eyed Southern boys, whatever you want to call them. He was the real deal. He he could talk like nobody else. He had a hell of a promo style. He he could work his ass off and the cool thing about Bullet was too you you didn't feel anything he did. Those chops he laid him in but he never hurt you. Uh when he locked up with you, when he when he put you in a hold, when he did something, he he was a, a professional uh from day one from, from the beginning he was a pro when he when he walked in the ring. And you, you hear that from everybody. Uh, everybody was enamored with him because he 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 could make you, and he would make you look so much better uh, than you really were. And that's that's certainly a trait of a of a real pro. And Bob was a real pro. Um, just listening to his stories, he knew how to to keep you interested. He knew how to have make the trip. Wherever you were going, make it uh, productive, and and you'll have a good time doing it. But uh, you'll have a good time making the trips, is what I mean. I mean, you'll 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 learn so much, and without even talking about wrestling, he just had this way of connecting with the boys in the back. He passed that on down to all the kids because they all know how to make a locker room. Uh, on a, come up to a whole different level of connecting and communicating. And some guys go by the philosophy of you need tension in the locker room. You need tension amongst the boys to do good business. But Bullet and Ron and Rob and Jimmy, of course, it was not a big money territory for most of the guys who went there. But at the same time, um, whether it was in Alabama or Atlanta, uh, they all knew how to communicate and get the most out of their crew and uh, make them happy to go go to work for you. And and that was – that's a huge, huge uh, talent to be able to get your talent to produce what you want them to produce and to give them the leeway to do it. And Bob was an intricate part of that. Huge. When was the kind of the first time you met Bullet Bob? Was it through Brad? Was that kind of the first time? Or it, was, it, it was it was in eighty eighty one or eighty two in Atlanta. Yeah, when I went in for Atlanta and I met Brad and Bob the same day at uh, interviews at the studio on Techwood, uh, and and both of them from that very first day, uh, very congenial, very nice, very very uh, welcoming, warm. Went over to the Falcons' rest. Uh, you know, and, and and got to know everybody, and and it was yeah, it was it was from day one. Um, it was only later on though that I figured you know Brad and I had a lot of uh, the the same traits and a lot of the same experiences. Um, as years went on, especially you know, and then then I got to know uh, Bullet and Gail and Scott, Steve. Um, Brian, and it was all, 
in the family. They they have this trait, and not every family's perfect. Not every family's uh, uh, always happy, but they, but they were always a family, and they they um, went as a family anywhere they went. You 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 know they they can fight with each other, but by God, the minute you want to say something about them, you better you're, you better be ready to fight all of them, including Gail. So. Yeah, from the first time I met him, he was uh, always a gentleman to me, always uh, one of the boys, even when he was one of the office. Um, and I think he was sincere on both sides because uh, it's been said many, many times, I truly believe this, you, you have to be one or the other. You're either, you're either uh, part of the administration or you're part of the troops. And bullets seem to know how to... Uh, uh, be on both sides at the same time with no conflicts. I mean, I could be wrong on that, but this is just my observation. And in Georgia, do you remember teaming with him against uh, the Moondogs? I I teamed with Bob a few times, and uh, I don't. Uh, it, it very well could have happened uh, early on, but um, yeah, I teamed with Bullet uh, a few times, especially in the last. Two, 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 15 years, and I fought him a couple times over the past 15 years. We've got got a couple uh, posters or uh, bills on the wall at JPWA with the bullet on there too. So, yeah, very possible. You know, it's interesting with him, and and you know, you could kind of correct me if I'm wrong, but just my kind of just thought of it. He could walk, you know, walk it, talk it. He had the charisma, good worker, good talker. Felt like with his kids, they each got a part of him. You know, like Road Dog got his talking ability, that's for sure. Brad got his wrestling ability, that's for sure. You know, and Scott and Steve got his ability too. But it felt like nobody was the complete package like he was, right? I mean, it just seemed like out in, in the middle of the ring, he was the complete package. Yeah, everybody agreed that, that Bob was was a breed all onto himself. When he came down, if you want to rate the Armstrongs, you know, Brad was, was the best worker. Brian was the best talker. Uh, Scotty was a technician, and Scotty was a hell of a worker. Steve was a brawler, no doubt. But Bob could do it all, and, and he could do it. Uh, with the skill of a pro. And when I say the skill of a pro, um, to go out there and do what we do and and understand what we are doing, and that's part of of the training process, is is trying to explain what we are doing. And while everybody has this uh, feeling that everybody's so smart, let's just go out and play and and let's (laughs) take it this way and have comedy and not even attempt to um, get into simulated combat and do it for the intent purpose of making your um, suspending your disbelief. I mean, without even that premise entering your mind, you just go out and do spots and do moves. But back then, uh, you know, there were a lot of elements involved and, Different world, different place, different mindset. But Bullet could could do it all, and uh, you're right. You know, he he was a different uh, set apart guy. He 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 was in a class all his own. The boys knew, you know, every one of the boys, all the boys, you know, Brad, Scott, Steve, Brian had their their traits, and they had their um, 
uh, high spots and in, in the places they excelled in. But but you're right, Bullet could do it all, and he knew how to make it work. That's why he was a booker in in various places, and um, he had ideas. And and uh, not everybody's capable of that, but but he was, and he was one of a kind. With the bullet, you know, obviously being so great and being the patriarch of this infamous Armstrong family, as you know, he's going through. What, what do you think is kind of the impact of him and the Armstrongs? I mean, obviously, he felt throughout the wrestling world. But what you know, what do you think is was his impact on the business? Uh, you know, probably giving us the boys. Um, he he was a top guy wherever he went, and he earned respect right off the bat. I think his his greatest contribution will be his attitude and his knowledge that he passed along to m- the majority of the guys in the South uh, who ventured up north. You know, I, I don't know. I've never never been told, and I haven't read the, the headline that says why the bullet never went to WWE or WWF or whatever. Um, but I, I would venture to say it might be because he was making enough money where he was, and he didn't want to leave his family for that extended period of time, especially during the time uh, that they they might have called him up. You know, th- all the boys were young kids, and uh, you know, I just don't think he wanted to 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 go out and to to the northeast for six months and, and leave poor Gail uh, with the boys. I mean, staying over here and there once in a while wasn't bad. And going on a week or two uh, on a tour, going to Japan maybe for, for three or four weeks wasn't so bad. But I think, you know, a six-month jaunt in those days was uh, pretty much the norm going to, to New York, especially if you're going to have a spot. I think it was you'd work with Bruno three times they tell you how many times you had Bruno and when it was finishing up and I think the uh, standard fare was you'd, you'd be there for six months and you go somewhere else so um, I think his contribution though uh, would have to be Brad, Brian, Scott and Stevie uh, because right now Brian again one of the the main guys at NXT and uh, Scott Right there with him is a, an agent and producer. Stevie's hanging out in Florida, and and Brad is now with Bob. So you know, but Bob contributed to ideas, to to molding talent and advice, mentoring, and and things like that. And uh, anybody who went through uh, the Gulf Coast when he was there will tell you that. Arn Anderson, I'm sure, will will speak highly and and praise Bob to no end because he gave Arn a hell of a break and and Bob could could spot talent and spot things and and offer a suggestion and I never got any impression when Bob would suggest would, would suggest something whether it was take your time uh, make sure when you get in the ring, you you stop for a second, look around, uh, and then go back to pacing. Show them that you uh, are, are ready to wrestle. You know, just just little things you you should know. I've heard him over and over tell guys and uh, offer a suggestion. Uh, 
I don't believe I've ever seen anybody brush it off or not listen. So those are and were invaluable uh, ideas and invaluable people, invaluable guys like Bob Armstrong that that the business is uh, sorely lacking in today. I've always heard that he was making enough money and he would not leave the area. You know, a family issue as well, the weather, he just loved it down there, but he did not want to leave because, hey, if I'm making this much money here, why, you know, risk it and, and be away from the area and be away from my family and, you know, possibly make some more money. But, hey, I'm making a good living here. Why would I want to leave? It's perfect. Exactly. And some guys, uh, you know, like Steve Kern uh, is, is a Florida guy. He'll tell you, I'm Mr. Florida. And when he, when he had his uh, disagreement with, with Jerry Jarrett, he and Stan went to Minneapolis. And, man, i got to tell you, when you come from the south and you're used to the sun and you're used to the warmth, um, when you go somewhere like Minneapolis or Stamford, uh, New York, whatever, it's cold. And, uh, you know, a lot of us southern fellas don't really particularly care for the, the northeast cold. I could take it or leave it, to be honest with you. I, I enjoyed the seasons when I was there. But at the same time, um, I, I would have preferred not to drive in the snow sometimes and not have to bundle up a lot of times and, and not shiver and be cold and, and things like that. So, yeah, Bullet, again, having young kids and not having to go anywhere because he was making good money, um, you figured in, you're around your friends, you're around people you like. Uh, you know, it, 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 is a, it is a culture shock for a lot of people. And, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, that that makes perfect sense to just want to hang around Georgia, hang around the South, hang around your family. You got your your grandma, your great grandma. You got uh, your mother here. You know, his mom was still living uh, when I met him, and you know that that's <laughs> that makes perfect sense, especially where he was at. Now, him and his wife, obviously, full uh, of Bob and Gail were super close and she passed not that long ago. Is that one of those things where he was kind of, you know, just, you know, wanting to see her again kind of thing? You know, they were, they were obviously very, very close. Well, he had said to me, uh, one, gosh, maybe this was, it wasn't the last time we spoke, but the the time before that he had said, I'm, I'm ready to just go see Brad. And I said, I understand. And I believe you will. And, and he did. So he he said that before, and I think he, he just got to the point where, oh man, I, I've had a good life. Let's let's just go to the next stage. And I agree with him. I mean, he he did it his way. I don't know that 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 he could have done it any better. I mean, he was he was a world champion without actually being given the belt and they were given the title or whatever it was because he he was that good of worker. He could work with anybody. I don't know that I've ever seen a bad match. Uh he had a hell of a mind for the business. He he God almighty. Just um you do, they don't make them like that anymore, but they don't have the experiences that Bullet went through to to be able to to have the same scars, to have the same feelings. Uh uh, that he did, you know, he was a Marine. He was proud to be a Marine. He he was 
uh, again, <laughs> he was the real deal. He, if you had any shit to say to him and you wanted to wanted to fight, he wasn't wasn't going to disappoint you. He'd he'd fight you, but you might be disappointed because he was he was that kind of guy, you know. And um, if he didn't have to go anywhere, he could make a great living being around his friends and being around places he loved to be around. And then that's what life's about is enjoying yourself, I think, and, and be in places where you want to be. Some people want to see the world. Some people want to work in Madison Square Garden. Others are, are content uh, showing everybody who they are and what they are right where they are. And, and anybody who met Bob Armstrong will tell you, in my opinion, and if they don't, they're lying, that, that he was a hell of a man. And uh, there, there's not many, if any, like him left. Uh, you, like we mentioned, Georgia Championship Wrestling, obviously Continental. You guys would wrestle against each other. Singles match, uh, you know, tag matches, four on four, three on three. I mean, there was quite a bit of uh, wrestling, but of course, Smoky Mountain was probably maybe the most interaction, the most times you wrestled him. Uh, there's you know, six mans, including the Dirty White Boys, six mans, of course, including James E. Cornette against um, Bob, uh, Steve, and Scott. I mean, but there's a different combinations of kind of wrestling him through the years. Any kind of, obviously, you know, would be older at this point. I mean, he'd be in his fifties pretty much at Smoky Mountain, but anything you think would be lacking or anything different for when you first wrestled him and then kind of wrestling him later on at Smoky Mountain? Uh, no, he, he was always, um, he never rushed. And I never got the feeling that we were rushed in the ring. And I've been lost in the ring many, many times. So, uh, no, I, I, Bob, from from day one, was always um, consistent. And, and over the last few years, God, maybe in the last five, I went somewhere where, um, oh, God, it had to be in Alabama. And Bullet, he's 76, so, yeah. Was that six years ago, four years ago? Or four years ago, 76. Uh, I remember asking him how old he was. And and Gail was there. And uh, uh, it, it was cool to see him enthusiastic and still wanting to be around the business. But at the same time... You know, when he's laying out the match and he's telling me they'll get heat on, uh, this is Bullet saying they'll get heat on him, he'll tag me for the comeback. And I looked at him and I said, no, I don't think that's right, Bullet. Let me let him get the heat on me and have him come in and have you come in. And you you blow the comeback. You give the chops. You do all the stuff. Now, I, because I could just see. No, you don't need to have a chance, fall down, get hit, whatever. No. I remember I had Jackie Fargo's last match with Bo James uh, and Bobby Fulton uh, in some place here in Tennessee, and Jackie threw an arm drag and couldn't get up. And I went, "Oh my God!" You know, uh, he and nobody knew knew the legend of Jackie Fargo at that point. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But he didn't look like Jackie Fargo did. You know, when he was hot, and that was in the 60s, the 70s, a little bit in the 80s when the fads came along. But by this time, uh, it, it wasn't the same. You know, Jackie was wearing cargo pants and a T-shirt and 
nobody really knew who he was, you know, and, and I, I didn't, I didn't want that to happen to Bullet. didn't want, you know, him going out there, uh, trying to do the sell with the mask on and, and then not, not be able to come in and do that comeback because I knew I couldn't do a better comeback, uh, than he could just, just by virtue of the fact that he's a bullet in Alabama, it meant something, and uh, he'd come out and dance and and connect with everybody, shake their hand, and and you know give them what they came for, and and that was a show, and they wanted to see the comeback, and he could still do the the chops and the karate movements and all that stuff. So um, no, I think he, he from the time I met him until. Uh, the last time I saw him in the ring, the last time I saw him was was uh, last year at the Dothan reunion. So um, he he's always had that love for the business and and just wanted to be around it, which which is good to see. What do you think about him, like of the all time greats? You think people may not say he is because he wasn't in WWE, like, you know, stupid things like that, or do you think that the smart fans recognize him as one of the all-time greats? I honestly, God, don't know, because he didn't get to make his way everywhere. And when uh, cable TV came in, you know, Bob, uh, Brad and he were, were a great team in the early days, and Bob was a hell of a singles, and uh, I, I, I know that uh, for a regional guy, um, he has to be mentioned. He has to be thought of uh, in, in the greats. He has to. He he had that undeniable it factor. He earned and, and gained the respect of everybody he worked with. Um, well, I, I don't want to be that presumptuous, but I, I would venture to say everybody he worked with uh, respected him and, and knew they had a, a hell of a match with him. So the the ones who know, know, and the ones who don't may dismiss it as, eh, he was a regional guy. But um, that, that's that's what is is so crazy about this thing and so debatable. Uh, it, we all have different tastes, and it's all subjective. So some people think the Ultimate Warrior was the greatest wrestler in the world greatest performer in the world. I don't think he's either, but he was a, he was a hell of a performer. Uh, and he was a hell of a character. He he was, but was he the very best? Absolutely not. He he had something, no doubt. It's like Bob Armstrong. Um, he was certainly one of the best in in any era or any territory, any any place he went. Uh, he looked like somebody, and and he was the part. He wasn't playing a part. When he walked out, uh, he had an aura about him. And when in the, in the dressing room, he had an aura about him, and he commanded that respect. So, uh, I, I think it's all subjective, and I think it's up to whoever is making that call and who the, who the so-called experts really are, because we tend, as I found out this last week, our, our hearts. Uh, get swayed sometimes when we see the the old stuff of uh, when we were kids, and we go, "Wow, 
I remember that a different way than I remember it now, but, but I remember the way I felt about it and how it sucked me in because you had these image uh, images punched in time, so to speak, of, of these black and white pictures. And um, it... <sighs> It it leaves a lot to the imagination. Back then they used black and white, I guess, for, for the magazines, for the newspapers, for all the print stuff. It wasn't as glossy and colorful as it is now, which really blows your mind uh, because you would think they would want it to be colorful and glossy back then. But but when I looked at it this past week, it it made me wonder, like, like I'm looking at, the wall behind these guys, I'm looking at the boots, I'm looking at the trunks, the, the robe, I'm wondering what colors are in there, and then what what was the whole scheme like when it was live, and, and it kind of transported me back, because I remember how the Coliseum was laid out, and I remember how dark it was, I remember people being able to smoke in the, in the buildings at the time, and I came across a, uh, an advertisement in a, in a Houston program where they said next week there will be no smoking allowed in, in rings at ringside. There will be designated places for smoking in the Coliseum. And up until that time, um, I, I just I remembered the, the smoke around the ring lights, the smoke ho- hovering above ringside, and and the the smell of stale beer in the air just you know looking at those black and white pictures made it and i hate to say it but it was it was more romanticizing on my end and bob armstrong you know i've looked at some of the pictures he's had with jack briscoe i've seen the bits and pieces uh of a match he had with lawler um just it's a different style in the south it really really was and and it i just think the style's been uh, stripped away, but um, Bob Armstrong was perfect uh, for this area. And, and looking looking back on some of the pictures, uh, you know, there were a lot of guys who who lent their persona to being photographed in black and white, and it, and it just uh, came out as something special. Definitely wanted to say, you know, rest in peace. To the bullet, Bob Armstrong. Condolences to the family, and obviously to you, being a very, very close friend of the family. And uh, you know, may he rest in peace, rest in power. Definitely a huge, huge wrestling legend. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and and we'll always have legends uh, for the time period and for the era. But but Bullet Bob Armstrong uh, is one legend that. Will, was just once in a lifetime. There, there will never be another uh, like him to come along. And I think that is an absolutely perfect stopping point for this week. I want to mention ProWrestlingTees.com. You can get a, a Dr. Tom Pritchard shirt. You can get a JPWA shirt. You can go over to Patreon and check it out with the JPWA. Become a patron and support them also, uh, Dr. Tom, your book, a, a pro wrestling curriculum, advice, suggestions, and stories to help the aspiring pro get to the next level. Where can they get this great book? You can go to Amazon.com. Just type in Dr. Tom's book, and you can get it there. Or you can send 
$25 for a personally signed uh, autograph book uh, at PayPal. And my PayPal is drtompritchard at AOL.com. Of course, jpwrestlingacademy.com is the JPWA's website. If you want to follow the latest there, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. You can follow Dr. Tom at Dr. Tom Pritchard. Dr. Tom, you got anything going else on in, in your world as far as uh, appearances and stuff? Or not not yet? Well, well, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be headed to Altoona uh, very shortly. Ooh, that's um, right. Going, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Coming up, uh, uh, we have something, uh, if, if all goes well, later uh, a couple months down the road from North Carolina, I believe it is. And... Um, uh, in between, we're, we're just waiting to see what happens. Uh, getting the first class underway uh, tomorrow, which we're, we are recording this on a Sunday, the 30th of August. August 31st will be the first of our last 2020 session at JPWA. Uh, we go uh, August 31st through November 20th, and it's going to be... Um, it's going to be the last class of this year, and uh, hopefully we'll start fresh, new, and better than ever in 2021. Nice. I'd like to thank everybody for joining us this week for taking you to school with Dr. Tom Pritchard. See you next week, folks. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading. his way to ring 6'9 279 pounds from Tennessee here is the mastermind himself the Tennessee stud your referee Roy George one fall television time remaining on this unusual match Tennessee stud who has uh, some kind of reason, you know what, at the beginning of the program. Look at this. The bullet behind him catches the stud. And the bullet catches him once again, and the stud rolls into the ring. And the bullet is right on top of him. The bullet catches him again. The stud's never gotten out of his robe. The bullet catches him again. And so the Tennessee stud in a world of hurt. The bullet has things very much under control. Well, the Tennessee stud said he wasn't in shape to wrestle. I watched him wrestle this weekend. Unbeknownst to him, although he knows it now, and he's got some problems. The bullet catches him again. The stud fires back. The stud catches the bullet with an elbow. Let me tell you, 279 pounds, 6 feet 9. He's big, bad, and mean. So the stud, as the bullet staggered, Catches him with a high knee lift, puts him to the canvas. 
And the stud now trying to get the plaudits of the crowd. The bullet coming up rather slowly. The Tennessee stud. High vertical suplex. The bullet in trouble. Stud ripping across the eyes of the bullet. Bullet catches him coming in, catches him once again. The bullet chop into the chest of the Tennessee stud. And so the Tennessee stud, who had no thought of wrestling this week on Continental Championship Wrestling, is suddenly very much in the thick of things. He's been staggered, he's dropped to the canvas. And so the bullet very much in control. So the head of the stable, the head of the family, seems destined for defeat here. The bullet on him confident. Ah, uh -uh, reversal by the stud. The bullet into that turn by. The bullet catches that foot. Puts the stud back to the canvas. He's going for that figure four. He's got the figure four. He's got it on him. He has got it on him. So the Tennessee stud facing excruciating pain as the bullet puts the figure four leg lock. The stud trying to escape from it. The bullet has it on him. No question about that. The Tennessee stud in a world of trouble now. Wait a second. Wait a second. That looks like Robert Fuller. That is. Robert Fuller trying to rip the mask off the bullet. The bullet trapped in that figure four, and it is Robert Fuller trying to, let's see, we can't get a look at that. Wait a second. Hey! That's Brad Armstrong. Brad Armstrong in there. The bullet back on his feet, he catches a Tennessee stud. He almost had that mask off. You got Brad Armstrong in there now. A four-way melee going on here. The Tennessee stud and the bullet. Robert Fuller and Brad Armstrong. He's got the sleeper. Brad Armstrong has the sleeper on Robert Fuller. And it's uh, the bullet going after that figure four leg lock again. The bullet has the figure four. Brad Armstrong has the sleeper. And it is all but over for the Tennessee stud and Robert. Wait a minute, who's this? That's gorgeous Jimmy Golden. Gorgeous Jimmy Golden in the ring. Golden ripping away. And they've ripped the shirt off of uh, Brad Armstrong. Meanwhile, the Tennessee stud battling it out. There's C. Ronald West calling for the bell. But it's too late for that now. And they're after the mask of the bullet. Soto comes charging into the ring. Wait a minute. Got from the outside by Jerry Stubbs, and they're outside the ring. It's the stud and the bullet battling it out now. They're still going after that mask. Boomer Lynch has just charged in the ring. He's down across the mat, the back of the bullet. 
They're going for the mask. They're going for the mask. They're going for the mask. Wait a minute. They, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's go to black. Let's go to black. Let's let's cut away. Well, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I never should have called for that. Uh, I got so carried away. All right. Well, wait a minute. The Tennessee stud making his way. The Tennessee stud making his way here to the desk. Terribly sorry, gentlemen, but uh, at, at the moment that happened, we, we seem to have had a technical problem. What? And I don't what? Know. what are That's you right. talking about? Everybody's thing. You got it on tape? No, I, I'm sorry. We we had a technical problem. We had to go to black. What are you uh, talking about? This you had to go to black. This is not the first time you've done this, going sorry. What are you talking about? You had to go black. Everybody sees all our no, stuff. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, we'll be back. We'll be back in just a moment. We'll be right back. May I take just a moment? First of all, I want to toss it to Mike Jackson in the ring, but I just want to tell the bullet that uh, unless somebody here in the audience had a camera and got a shot of the bullet when he was unmasked, then nobody still knows who he is because unfortunately we had a technical problem and you were not seen on television. You heard it, the people heard it. Technical difficulty, nobody sees nothing. Hallelujah! I told you before, somebody up there likes me, and I'm gonna tell you something, Tennessee stud. All five of you got it, didn't you? It took five, but now it's all erased with a big eraser because it don't count. Now I'm gonna tell you something. I'm sick and tired of the whole darn stable jumping on me Brad Armstrong and the rest of the Armstrongs every time we turn our back. I want some changes made. I want the card changed. I want any of the studs stable or you stud in a loser lead. I want one on one. Every donkey in the stable is going out of here. I don't care what it takes. You or any of your stable sign the loser lead and it's going to be bye-bye Tennessee stud and the whole stable of jackasses. Gordon. Well, all I can say is, let me see what we can do. Uh, you know, matches have been set, matches have been established. But uh, again, I, I want to apologize to everybody for uh, uh, the technical problem we had, which uh, obviated the possibility of seeing uh, exactly who the bullet was. But nonetheless, all I can say is if these changes can be made, if these matches can be made, we will immediately proceed to do that just as quickly as possible. We'll be right back. Boy, we found out what happened to the tape. You messed with the tape. You called for him not to show him. We had him there and had him get the right. Uh, we don't want any card changes. We ain't changing no card. Let me have it. Let me have it, boss. I want him. You want him losing? I want him. I don't care. You I want him losing. I want him. All right, you got it. 
Boomer's gonna run you out of here, bullet. You're gone, boy. As far as any other matches, I'm not putting my continental title. Roberts is not defending against any. I'm defending against the Netherlands. Strong as long as I live, Brado. That's all we've got to say, Sully. You. It's your fault. This is your doing, Jordan Sully, that his face wasn't seen, and you're going to hear about it. Well, it's not the first time you did this, Gordon Sully. You messed me out of a bunch of money. Now look what you've done. You ignored these people the rights of seeing Bob Armstrong's face. Well, 